you know, for the last couple of months, we've been talking about commitment, right? We've been talking about commitment. And last week, we wrapped up a three-week series on giving, on tithing. And uh, as I have said before, that was not an easy thing for me to do uh, throughout the years. Um, that's just something that I would neglect to, to deal with, uh, you know, as much as I could get away from it, I would. And that wasn't good. That wasn't good leadership on, on my part. And so we spent three whole weeks walking through the church's commitment to be a giving church, to, to give to the Lord, to give of our tithes and offerings. And so I can say now that I have done my duty in that regard. You know, I've said everything I possibly know to say, everything that the Word of God has to say. I have just, uh, you know, I, I just wring, wrung everything out of that that I possibly could. So now it's just, it's up to us, folks. It's up to us. To, uh, to step forward and to honor the Lord and to be obedient to His commands. Amen? Amen. And so we're going we're gonna to move on from that now. And today we're going to talk about the church's commitment to sound doctrine. The church's commitment to sound doctrine. And I'll explain what that is um, here, here in just a moment. But let me also just say... I've been talking about how we're, we're going to be uh, having church, doing church membership, and we're, we've been going through this series, kind of helping us understand what, what is important to our church. If you wanted to be a member of this church, what are we about? And so this, this message right here is definitely very much to that end, so that you guys, we can collectively understand what's important to this church. What are we, what are we about here, especially as it pertains to the truth of God's Word? And I'm pretty much winding down this series at this point over the next couple weeks. We'll kind of be wrapping it up. I mean, I could keep going. I didn't think that we would be going this long. And I, I could just keep cranking out so many more messages. But I think it's about time to wind down. And so um, we'll be going back to the Gospel of John in, in two or three weeks, I estimate. And I'm looking forward to getting back into our verse-by-verse -verse study through that book. But today... We're talking about the church's commitment to sound doctrine. Now, what exactly is that sound doctrine? <clears throat> it's something that um, the Bible talks a lot about, and you may often hear me use that phrase. But when we, when we say sound, we mean healthy, whole. For instance, if someone says, I'm of sound mind right now, sound mind and body, we understand what they mean by that. They have their wits about them. They're thinking clearly. And doctrine, the word doctrine simply means teaching. That's what the word doctrine means, teaching. And so doctrine, the word doctrine is not specific to just the Bible. Doctrine can be used in a totally secular sense as well. But biblically, sound doctrine, it is wholesome, healthy, right, biblical teaching. That's what sound doctrine is. And the Bible is very clear that we have to take sound doctrine very seriously, particularly the pastors do but also the church. So Paul, writing to a pastor named Titus, says uh, in Titus 1 verse 9, "...holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he might be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict it." So the pastor has a duty, an obligation to know the truth, to stand on the truth, and to challenge and come against people who would try to, 
teach false doctrine, right? That's, the, that's the, the job of the pastor, and the pastor has to take that very seriously. Titus 2.1, it says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. So that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the beat of my heart as the pastor here. The truth, the true truth, sound doctrine. To know it, to teach it, to defend it, to, to, to pass it on to other faithful men and women who will be able to pass it on. Amen? Sometimes you'll hear me use the word orthodox or orthodoxy. Now, that's not to be confused with like Eastern Orthodox. That's, that's a whole other system of belief. But when I use the word orthodox, I'm talking about um, that which is considered to be uh, normal uh, teaching healthy, straight doctrine. And I say that because the word ortho, uh, it, it actually means straight. So when you hear orthodontist, right, straight teeth, that's the idea. And so uh, orthodox is that which is not twisted or warped. You follow me? Orthodox is that which is not twisted or warped. Unorthodox means it's unusual, it's different, right? If we were to say like that boxer style is very unorthodox, he has a very unique style, it's different than other people. Well, that's not good when it comes to biblical teaching. Unorthodox is not good. That, that can mean twisted, warped, perverted. It can mean unusual, different, new, and that's usually a bad thing, right? And so uh, we want to be orthodox. We want to have sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. And why is that? Well, orthodoxy, there's another word that is closely linked to it, and it's a Latin word. It's orthopraxy. And so orthodoxy means straight or right teaching. What do you suppose orthopraxy means? Huh? Straight living, right living. And so orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy, right? So uh, sound truth Sound biblical truth leads to sound biblical living. That's why it's so important, right? If we're deceived in the truth, if we're deceived doctrinally, it's going to affect the way that we live our lives. And so we have to have it right. We have to know the truth, stand on the truth, and fight to preserve the truth. I want our church to be biblically literate. Amen? I want our church to be biblically literate. That's my goal. The day that I hand it off to another man, I want to be able to say, I did my duty for the last 30 years. I preached faithfully sound doctrine, and our people are some of the most biblically literate people in the valley. I mean, they, they are just, they know sound doctrine, and they live it out. Because there is a crisis, folks. There's a crisis in the church over biblical illiteracy. In fact, that's a real pandemic. It's worldwide. It's a problem. I came across this, uh, this interesting story. I'll read it to you on this uh, issue of biblical illiteracy. So it was a man named Sam. Sam was a man who came down from the Ozark Mountains, and he wanted to go to Bible college. And so he was being examined. They wanted to determine, does this guy have what it takes to even come into uh, a school on this level and to take a, this program? And so they said, Sam, we want you to tell us the story of the Good Samaritan. 
Easy enough, right? Well, this is his version. Once upon a time, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked him, and he went on and didn't have any money. And he went to the queen of Sheba, and she gave him 1,000 talents of money and 100 changes of raiment. And then he got into a chariot and drove furiously. And when he was driving under a big old juniper tree, his hair done got caught on the limb of the tree. And he hung there for many days, and the ravens him, uh, brought him food to eat and water to drink. And afterwards he was hungry, and he ate 5,000 loaves and two small fishes. And one night, while he was hanging there asleep, his wife Delilah came along and cut off his hair, and he dropped and he fell on stony ground. But he got up and went on, and it began to rain, and it rained forty days and forty nights, and he hid himself in a cave. He lived on locusts and wild honey. Then he went on till he met a servant who said, Come take supper at my house. But he began to make excuses and said, No, I won't. I married me a wife, and I can't go. And the servant went out into the highway and the hedges and compelled him to come in. And after supper, he went on and came to Jericho. And when he got there, he looked up and saw Queen Jezebel sitting way up in a high window. And she laughed at him. And he said, Throw her down. And they threw her down. And he said, Throw her down some more. And they threw her down 70 times 7. <laughs> and of the fragments, they picked up 12 baskets full. Then they said, Now in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? No. If you know anything about the Bible, that's all from the Bible. That's just all over the Bible, every single line. And uh, I fear that in many churches in America, you wouldn't get something too far off from that if you were to start prying and asking people to tell you something about the Word of God, right? And so we can, we can look at that and laugh at that, and we should because it is quite funny. I would be really concerned if nobody in here were laughing at that. I think that's the pastor's concern is like I'm run, stepping out on a limb by reading something that, like that and then nobody laughs. And so um, we can't have that. Our people are biblically literate people and we take sound doctrine very seriously. Now we live in an age and a time where people say, you know what, doctrine is bad. Doctrine just divides. You ever heard that? And so we need to just do away with doctrine and just unite. We need to just hold hands and, and be united at all costs and just dispel of any notion of doctrine. That's all bad. That's all bad. In fact, I think that was something that, that Oprah had once said, right? And so don't be getting your theology from Oprah. Anyhow, well, as I think about 1 Timothy... Think about First and Second Timothy, man. You see this over and over again. This really was Paul's charge to Timothy, was to take seriously the issue of doctrine. Timothy, you man of God, you pastor of the local church, take seriously sound doctrine. Now, when Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy is pastoring in Ephesus, and I love this, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul actually tells Timothy why he's writing. He gives him the purpose statement of the book. And so he says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. So he says, I'm giving you these truths, these principles, so that you as a pastor and your church members know how they ought to conduct themselves in the church. But what I want to draw your attention to is what how Paul describes the church. He says it is the house of God 
which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Now think about that. That's amazing to me. The church did not create the truth. The church did not come up with the truth. The church does not modify the truth. The church is not the church's job to add to or take away from the truth. It's the church's job to uphold the truth. And it is through the church, through faithful pastors, faithful uh, men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ in the church from generation to generation to take seriously the truth of the Word of God and the gospel, to embrace it, to cherish it, to obey it, and then to pass it on. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we have the truth. We have sound doctrine because faithful men and women, brothers and sisters, took that seriously. And we do too. Amen? We do too. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul tells Timothy in verse 13, he says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words. There it is, sound words. So hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. And faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So Paul tells Timothy, brother, you have heard the pattern of sound words from me. Now I want you to take that good thing which was committed to you and keep it. Now, other translations may render that the good deposit. That good thing that was committed to you, it, it uh, renders it to guard the good deposit. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, that would actually be a very powerful and clear word picture to that particular culture. You know, we live in a day where we have, we have pretty good security, you know, in, uh, in the banks, in our homes. We have safes. We have... Security systems, firearms, you know, whatever, surveillance. I mean, we're, we, if we really want to protect something, we can do that, right? But back then, not so much. And so people's houses, it was easy, easy to get into somebody's house. Especially on the outer perimeters, um, you, could, you could get in quite easily. So what people would do, if they had something that was very precious or valuable to the family, a prized possession, coins, family heirlooms. They would try to move it to the center of the house, as far away as it could be from the perimeter of the house, in some kind of a room where it could be enclosed and locked. And so that, that makes sense, right? We understand that. But if they were going to go on a journey or leave the house, what would they do? Because it was very easy for someone to get into someone's house and just take whatever they wanted to. So they would take those things that were their most prized possession. They could deposit it at a temple nearby. But most often what they would do is they would deposit it with family members who would guard what had been entrusted to them while those people were away. Recognizing that it was valuable, that it was priceless even. And so they had been charged to guard something that had been entrusted to them. Does that make sense? As I was thinking about this... Thought about, um, I went on a missions trip with Pastor Bill years ago, and I was still living in Tennessee at the time, and I, I knew Bill, you know, fairly well, but not great, and um, I told my wife, man, when we, I will never, ever leave the South, okay? I'll never leave the country. Here I am in the Smoky Mountains. I ain't going nowhere, and, you know, God, you know, did otherwise, obviously, and one of the things he did was he, he 
sent me to, to Mexico, right? And so I was way out of my comfort zone here. And so we stop at the border, we have all this money, and we have to, we have to turn it into, you know, uh, pesos. And man, it, we just, it was like a lot of stacks of, of money. So I was like super nervous, right? Well, we, we get into Mexico, and all of a sudden Bill gets super sick, super sick. So I go upstairs, and I'm like, hey, brother, we're going to go out to eat. And uh, he's like, look, I'm very sick, just take all this money. And I was like, what, what am I supposed to do with it? He was like, I'm sick, I can't make any decisions, just go. And I was like, dang. And all of a sudden, I got all this money. I'm in Mexico. And I'm like, oh, no. So I'm like, what do I do? Do I hide it? Do I keep it on me? Do I, I had been entrusted with something that was serious. It was valuable. And you understand, like, you take that seriously. And so that's kind of the idea here. Paul is saying, look, Timothy, you have been entrusted with something that's incredibly precious, incredibly valuable. It's, it's, it's worth is beyond our ability to understand it's it's valuable so guard it guard it like that amen paul uses this language in first corinthians 4 he says let a man consider us servants of christ and stewards of the mysteries of god moreover it is required in stewards that one be found faithful so we're uh, we're servants brothers and sisters we're stewards We've been entrusted with something that's extremely precious and valuable. And what is God looking for? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. That's what we're going to be judged for on that good day, our faithfulness. Faithfulness. We have all kinds of metrics through which we try to gauge how we're doing in this life, but there's really one that the Bible makes a big deal about, and it is faithfulness. Faithfulness. And so one last reference here with Timothy Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, <clears throat> Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus, and he says, look, as I urged you, this is verse 3, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That was Paul's command to Timothy. Stay in Ephesus and charge others that they teach no other doctrine nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. <clears throat> now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. So that was the charge, that was the command that Paul gave to Timothy, and that's a heavy, heavy command. I mean, I imagine that was a scary thing for Timothy. He was a timid guy. He's this young pastor in this church that was well-established, and it's his job to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the elders or anyone else who would be trying to teach false doctrine. And uh, he says, charge them that they do not do that. But then this is what I want to draw your attention to in verse 5. He says, now the purpose of this commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. So love is the motivation behind that commandment. Paul says, look, I'm telling you to command others that they teach no other doctrine, but I'm commanding you to do this and the commandment is in love. Because you love God, because you love God's word, because you love God's people, that is why. And from a sincere heart, from sincerity, and having, um, having a, a clear conscience, a good conscience. Right? That's the motivation, and that is important. That is important. Um, I'll talk about that again here in just a moment. So for me... From the early days of my walk, 
Man, I have had a fire for biblical literacy and sound doctrine. God just put that in me. And, you know, I was fortunate to have men of God who pastored me and taught me and, and instilled in me this desire for sound doctrine. Uh, a couple pastors in particular that God gave me that coached me in this. They, they trained me in this. They taught me to be discerning. They would ask me questions. What do you think about that? Is something about that raise alarm with you? Why? You know, and they, they really built that up in me. And my pastor would say, as I've said here before, we're not to be a bunch of critical stinkers, but we are to think critically. Think critically about what you're hearing and what you're seeing, right? And so that's, that's something that's very serious to me. And so that is why, from time to time, I feel compelled to name names. If I see or hear things that are going on out there that I know our people are listening to, I'm not necessarily saying that these folks are false teachers, but I am appealing to our people to be discerning. A couple weeks ago, I had mentioned Priscilla Schreier and Beth Moore, right? And I had been involved in an email chain with some pastors, uh, NorCal pastors, and someone had asked, do you have any concerns about Priscilla Schreier? And I said, I had heard a little bit from her that caused me some concern. It gave me some red flags. And that just set off a firestorm. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, are we pastors or what? I mean, are we shepherds? And, you know, the brother pastor asked me a question, and I, and I answered it, you know. And so I thought, this is good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this with my church, and particularly the ladies. And I said that the issue that I have is what seems to me, as I, as I would hear and, and see and hear things that these two particular uh, women would share, it just seems like a huge emphasis on extra biblical revelation, hearing God, always hearing God outside of his word. You know, God told me this, God told me that. And, you know, I know that we desire to hear from the Lord and that um, I believe that God speaks to us through his word. That is the, the predominant way in which God speaks. Now, I have had times where I felt like the Lord really impressed something on my heart that had to do with a very particular situation. One of those was coming to Tennessee, or from Tennessee to California, and one was about me even taking this church as the pastor. And the Lord did that through Scripture. And so it was the Word of God. It just I knew the Lord was speaking to me, right? And the issue that I, would, I had in particular that I said last time, and I'm saying again, was that when um, I would hear these women speak, it would come across like, they were having this dialogue with God on the spot. I said this to God, and then God said this to me, and then I said, God, I don't know. Are you sure? What do you think? And then God said this, and I said, God, really? I don't know. And it was just like within, you know, 30 seconds, they had a 15 back and forth kind of conversation with God. And um, I just don't, I, you know, maybe, maybe uh, there was um, kind of just getting a little carried away in the moment, maybe exaggerating a little bit, maybe had some kind of an inclination or impression from the Lord, and you get excited when you're up in front of people, and you can exaggerate. It's something we all have to watch out for. I don't know, but it was concerning to me because my, my fear is that women would hear that and think, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. And, but I don't have that experience. Why? Is there something wrong with me? Am I in sin? 
uh, does God not love me so as much? Why doesn't God talk to me like that? Is it something? Is God not love? You know, and it, you understand, folks, how those things can begin to creep in and shape our perspective on how we see God or think we're supposed to interact with God. And as a pastor, that concerns me, and so I expressed my concern. And I know that some people that bothered them. In fact, some folks got up off the back row and left while I was talking about it. You know. And I just thought, man, am I not allowed to be a pastor? Am I not allowed to, to speak as the shepherd of this church and express concern? And my appeal was, be discerning. That was it. Be discerning. Weigh it against the Word of God. And there's a line to walk, because you all know I played a clip from Francis Chan a few weeks ago. Remember to give God your best, and he, he was that, that chicken wing, and he was eating the chicken wing. We were all blessed by that. It was a great clip. And I used to love Francis Chan so much, and his older stuff, man, I used to really dig that. But in you know, the last couple of years, he's gotten very ecumenical. And by that, what I mean is it's just a, a desire to kind of hold hands and partner with all branches of whoever would claim to be Christian, no matter what they're teaching uh, and believing. And there is a line. There does come a point where we cannot have fellowship with folks that reject certain truths about the Word of God or teach other things that are contrary to the Word of God. I don't care if they say they're Christian. And we'll talk about that in the message today. And, uh, you know, when, you know, when pe people, they, they get on a certain trajectory and they start moving that way, they might be off by one degree. But eventually, they have veered way out into no man's land. You understand? That's all it takes. That's all it takes. And I, as the pastor, feel compelled to tell you guys, be discerning, think critically, be careful what you're taking in, weigh it against the Word of God, the Lord, of, uh, the Lord has given us the Holy Spirit so that we can have discernment. Amen? Amen, Amen and a hallelujah? hallelujah? Okay. And so that's, you know, that's my, my desire. And so I'm not trying to run around and say everybody and their mama is a false preacher. And that, I mean, because, you know, I mean, there are people out there who everybody is a false teacher. And it's like, dang, nobody is safe, Right. But the reality is the New Testament frequently warns that we have to watch out. We have to watch out for false teachers. You'd be surprised if you start looking for that as you walk through the epistles. It is everywhere. We are to be discerning. We are to watch out. We are to be careful about what we're taking in. We have to measure it against the Word of God. We have to take sound doctrine seriously. Amen? This is just my introduction. I'm not going to finish this today. Well, let me just give you the points of the sermon here, and we'll see how far we get. All right, so we are to be a church that stands for sound doctrine and affirms the Bible. So I want to look at Calvary's commitment to be a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. That's number one. Number two is Calvary's commitment to be a Christ and gospel-centered church. Three is Calvary's commitment to the Christian essentials. And then number four is Calvary's commitment to other biblical affirmations, things that we would affirm, we consider to be very critical, crucial, biblically, especially in our culture and day, but are not necessarily essentials to the faith. And then lastly, I just wanted to consider a few of what we would call non-essentials, things that we're just not supposed to divide over. But we do divide over, but we're not supposed to, right? Right? 
And so that's, that's kind of where we're going. So number one, our commitment to be a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. So God is a revealing God. Amen? Did you know that? God has gone to great lengths to reveal himself to us. There are a lot of people out there who think God is some force. He's some distant being who, who kind of created everything and just let go and removed himself. He's far removed, disinterested, uninterested, uninvolved. But nothing could be further from the truth. God has revealed himself through creation. There's so much that we can know about God as we look at creation. His power, his uh, creative genius, his eternality. He pre-existed uh, creation itself. On and on we could go. But it's not a perfect revelation of God. We can't know how to be saved through general revelation. All we know through general revelation is that there is a creator. That there is a God. And God has put it in our hearts that there is more to life than this. The Bible says that eternity is in the heart of man. And God has written his law on our hearts and our conscience. We know the difference between right or wrong. We have this yearning for justice. That's, that's God's common grace. That's general revelation. All of humanity has that. Right? But special revelation is what God has given us through his word. Through his word, all that we need to know about God is revealed to us. And especially in his son, Jesus Christ. God who in, these, who in former times spoke through the prophets to the fathers has in these last days spoken by his son. That is the final and, and full revelation of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I and the father are one. And so God has revealed himself generally, and he's revealed himself in a very special way through his word. And so we believe and affirm that God's word is inspired, it's infallible, it's inerrant, it's authoritative, and it's sufficient. Okay? You may not know what all of those mean, but you need to know that our church does affirm those things because there are plenty of people who, who reject those things increasingly more as time goes on. So let's just consider some scriptures together. What does the Word of God say about the Word of God? Now, it's not my goal in this message to teach and defend all of these things. I just want you to understand that this is what Calvary Napa holds to, right? So, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is given by inspiration. It's theonoustos in the Greek. It literally means God-breathed. God-breathed. And so we believe that, that the writers of Scripture were moved by the Spirit of God, carried along, Second Peter. And uh, it's kind of like wind in the sails, carried along to pen an errant, inspired scripture. So we don't believe that the authors were inspired. We believe the product of their writing, the scriptures are inspired, inspired writings. That they wrote, the prophets spoke, and the authors of scripture wrote infallibly because they were being moved by the Holy Spirit, they were speaking by the Holy Spirit. So it was not possible that what they produced would be in any way errant. So the scriptures are, in their original autograph, the original documents, 
were inerrant without any error whatsoever. Now, we have copies of copies of copies from the original languages, and we have translations, and throughout the centuries, there might be a little discrepancy here and there in the language, and it's extremely, extremely minute, and it doesn't change any kind of doctrine uh, whatsoever. That's a whole other issue. That's bibliology, uh, textual criticism. We'll, we'll talk about that some other time. But we believe the Word of God to be inspired, infallible, and inerrant. It is without error. Amen? Without error. And it is authoritative, which means that it is the final authority. It's the supreme authority. It is what we answer to. We answer to the Word of God. Amen? And so that's what we look to ultimately. And it is sufficient. It's more than enough. It's more than enough. So we don't need the wisdom of the world. We don't need modern pop psychology. We don't need all of that. We have the truth of God's word revealed to us, and it is sufficient. What does Paul say to Timothy? He said that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof. That's like rebuke when you need to be, uh, be you know, checked, if you will. And then correction kind of helps you get back on the track. And instruction in righteousness that keeps you on the track. And he says that the man of God, the woman of God, would be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what equips us for every good work? It's the Word of God. Amen? There it is. That's what the Bible says. Can we just take a deep breath and breathe easy? That's all we need, and we have it. We've got the Spirit of God and the Word of God. We are equipped. Isn't that good news? That's good news. So we believe that the Word of God is sufficient. Psalm 19, 7-11 says that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, and the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than any honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Man, God's word is good, amen? God's word is so good, it's powerful. Psalm 132, uh, 138, verse 2 says that you have magnified your word above your name. That's amazing. God says, I have exalted my word above my name. God's name, what that means, that is his authority, his power. Like if I were to say, you know, stop in the name of the law, right? I'm not, you know, as cheesy as that sounds, right? I'm, I'm citizen's arrest, stop in the name of the law. It ain't me, it's not my authority, it's the, the authority of the law that governs the land. That's in the name of the law. So when you say in the name of God, God's name, it's all the power, all the authority, all that that represents. And God said, I will elevate my word above my name. That's amazing. Jesus said in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Everything that we are freaking out about right now, one day will be gone. It will cease to exist. Everything in this world will be gone. But his word will endure forever. His word will continue on. Amen? Everything that we're so twisted up in a pretzel about right now, 
everything that we're so upset about. I went into the grocery store the other day with my daughter, and I saw one of those machines with the drop-down hook that picks up the uh, stuffed animals. Now, we all know that's a rip-off. We know that. <laughs> but I thought it says if you put in money, you get four shots. And I thought, well, my, my daughter will have fun with this, so let's see what I can do. Four times I dropped down and got a great hold on a stuffed animal, and it just, I mean, no, nothing. There's no, there's no spring resist. It just, I thought, this is a, I, I got took, I got ripped off. I was mad. I was so mad. I was about ready to go to the manager. I was like, how do they get away with even having these in the grocery store? This is a total con. And I thought, that's it. That's the cause that our church has taken up from now on. <laughs> Forget all this stuff that's going on out there, all these hot topics, it's that. We're writing to the Congress, and we are going to start pushing that they remove those stinking things out of the grocery stores. You know, all the stuff that we get twisted up down here about, right? It's all going to pass away. It's all going to fade away. It's all going to melt away with a fervent heat. But God's Word will endure. It will continue on. It will by no means pass away. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, and it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. God's word was going to go forth, and it was going to accomplish. People were either going to be judged by it, or they were going to be saved by it. But it would accomplish what it was sent for. James chapter 1, and I guess we're going to close here because we need to transition over to the Lord's table. James chapter 1, verse 22. It says, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So it's not enough to just know the word of God, to know sound doctrine, and to fiercely protect it and defend it. We've got to obey it. We have to obey it. And that, that's so important. The one who knows the Word of God, they're a hearer of the Word of God, but they don't do the Word of God. James says they are deceiving themselves. They are deceived. You know, young men that I know are aspiring to ministry, and I know that they, they want to be used by God, I will tell them that a little bit of Bible knowledge, but with a godly life, is incredibly powerful. You can have all the Bible knowledge and not live it out, and you're going to be destructive. You're going to do damage. And so just having the ability to do what we know. Uh, early on in my Christian walk, there was a man of God in my life that I looked up to, and I was so excited about theology, and I would always go to him and tell him what I was learning, and he would just look at me and say, because he knew I wasn't living these things out very well. And he said, I'm just not impressed with what you know. He said, I would be impressed if you were actually living it out. And I used to hate that. That used to make me so mad. And I just thought that was some kind of cop-out on his part. He don't want to talk about the deep stuff, you know. <laughs> but uh, now I see the wisdom in it. He was absolutely right. What, is it, what does it matter if you know all this stuff, but you're not living it? You're deceived. 
He said that uh, anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man who looks in the mirror, sees that something needs to be done, needs to be shaved, wash your face, comb your hair, something, but uh, doesn't do anything about it, just walks away. You see the issue and you don't do anything about it. That's what a, that's what a, a hearer of the word who is not a doer is like. And so it says the one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, the one who does it, but who is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one is going to be blessed in what he does. Amen? There is blessing in obeying God's word. So we want to be those who know God's word and who do God's word. We keep God's word. We obey it. We stand for truth. We believe what God's word says and we obey it. Amen? Father, we worship you, and we thank you for your great kindness and love yet again. Go with us this week, Lord, as we seek to serve you and obey you and to glorify you and to be witnesses in the world for you. So God, help us. We need your help. Thank you for your love and your provisions for us. Thank you that you're faithful and you guide us. Please lead us in the right way. In Jesus' name.